This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. We have got a very impressive guest right off the top here. He is veteran Metro Detroit business turnaround consultant, Pat O'Keefe. Pat O'Keefe, welcome to the Political Insider. Thank you, Bill. Happy to be here. Well, you are the founder and CEO of O'Keefe, but you are a great many other things as well. I've never seen such an impressive resume for somebody running for a university board in literally half a century. It's incredible. Uh, And I just want to ask you, Pat O'Keefe, I think you were born in Detroit, if I'm not mistaken. I think you saw John F. Kennedy when he was running for president in 1960 when you were like five years old. That's that's correct, though. It's pretty good that you would know that. And then you, uh, I think, grew up in maybe St. Clair Shores, but you lived for about 35 years in Troy. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Well, you are running uh, one of the two Republican nominees for the Michigan State University Board of Trustees on the ballot statewide November 3rd. Why are you doing this? You know, that's a fair question, Bill, and a lot of people (laughs) have uh, asked me that. Clearly, I have uh, my fingers in a a lot of different uh, pies, so to speak, but... uh, Michigan State is a passion of mine. It uh, gave me a great foundation and has been uh, that foundation that has led to a lot of great successes. And I think at this juncture in my career, I have put a lot of tools in my toolbox, have a lot of life experiences. And quite honestly, I think higher education is broke and in a crisis. And as a crisis manager for the last 30 years, I think I just have a unique skill set and lens to help my alma mater solve some problems. Going forward with all the things that have happened, most of them bad, to Michigan State University in the past couple of years, the Larry Nassar uh, scandal and uh, Luanna Simon resigning and trials and tribulations by the board, uh, where do you see the board right now and what should they be doing going forward? Well, again, a a good question and, you know, one of the things that uh, drives me crazy, quite honestly, you know, I have extensive experience in boardrooms, both uh, corporate, not-for-profit, and uh, also higher education, having served on four different advisory boards for universities in Michigan. And boards are designed to provide oversight and governance. And I believe the existing board has failed um, in that basic premise in, in, in so many ways. And, and Larry Nasser is just a, a great example. My daughter was a Big Ten scholar athlete, fairly prolific um, tennis player here in, in Michigan. And, you know, safety on campus, when you send your kids away to school or they're not no longer in the house, is paramount. And Michigan State University ignored requests from the United States Department of Education to report sexual assaults and crimes on campus to the extent that they needed to. They were responsible for 
the identification of safety procedures, investigation, and ultimate um, prosecution of certain um, crimes on campus. And they thought it was a numbers game. They just, you know, reported numbers and didn't really get into anything in depth. And what's most appalling to me is that in 2012, on the eve of the Jerry Sandusky um, issues at Penn State, the U.S. Department of Education put out a notice to all universities saying we have not seen enough reporting, and if you've got anything like Jerry Sandusky, we, we want to see it. And they were flooded because people didn't take it seriously. And the penalties were they could fine you a couple times, and then they could withhold federal funds. U.S. Department of Education levied the highest fine ever on Michigan State University for their derelict reporting on the, on the Larry Nassar matter. And currently they're withholding federal funds, which are impacting students on campus that have federal grant money that's coming to them as a result of the administration's poor effort and the board's poor oversight. And that is unacceptable. I'm sorry. And most board members, you know, they take these positions. They don't understand even what a board member does. They certainly don't understand what it is in higher education. And I interviewed three or four of them before I ran to ask them what their number one concern was being a board member. Without exception, it was safety on campus. And yet not one of them understood what the Clery Act was about. And they said, well, how would we know that? Well, it seemed to be a basic requirement if you're going to run for a board position. And I would tell the Michigan voters, you get what you vote for. If you don't want experience, people on there, people who understand higher education, who are doing this for political gain or the chance to ride on airplanes with Tom Izzo to NCAA tournaments, then you can't be appalled at what is produced on that campus. And I'm there to be a constructive disruptor of things that I think are wrong on that campus, which is why I'm running. Pat O'Keefe, uh, you are running as one of two Republican nominees for the Michigan State University Board of Trustees on November 3rd, as I've mentioned. Tanya Schutmaker is your running mate as a Republican, a former state senator, an attorney. Um, what are the two of you doing, or what are you doing specifically to campaign for this? This is the first time I think you've ever run for public office, and here you've got less than a month left before the election, and you got to get your name out there. I know you're well-known in the metro Detroit area, but out-state, uh, how do you get around? How do you get your message out? How do you connect with the voters? How do you raise and spend money in this limited time? Well, all good questions. And, you know, not being um, a career politician, uh, but a strategist nonetheless, um, you know, there are ways to get it out. So, you know, strategically, um, you know, Kent, Oakland, Wayne, Macomb are big voting blocks. I am currently running um, TV advertising, talking about some of the issues and getting my name out there. The Tri-County area here in Detroit, as you've mentioned, Bill, um, a, a fairly you know, known commodity and, uh, you know, with my capabilities. And I have an office in Grand Rapids, so I'm not unknown there either. But those are big voting blocks. In addition, um, I'm trying to level the playing field a little bit for conservative Republican candidates in that I do a lot of business and have, uh, you know, I manage 
uh, Grow Michigan Fund, which has made uh, investments into minority-owned businesses. We've just launched uh, Grow Michigan 2, which um, we've earmarked half our fund, which will be upwards of a quarter, mil- a bi- quarter billion dollars for minority-owned businesses. And I've built a lot of a coalition around the uh, minority community that I'm hoping pays some dividends. And my, my thought on this is, is that uh, I'm really hoping to dent uh, that voting block probably in a way that's never been dented before because I'm a recognized doer and champion for all people. And I have had great success doing it, and I think people in the community understand that. So I'm out you know, trying to spread the word. Um, I don't do any fundraising. I'm a self-funded candidate, although I will mention that the Farm Bureau made a very generous uh, donation to my campaign, and I thank the Farm Bureau for that. We do a fair amount of uh, consulting in the agricultural industry, and you know they like to support candidates who understand and can be a champion on the MSU campus who has such a key role. In ag, but for the most part, um, I've not asked family or friends for money. This is uh, my mission, and you know I'm trying to get out there the best I can. And I'm talking to you today, Pat O'Keefe. Uh, one thing you got going for you is a great Irish name. Uh, Kelly's Cavanaugh's uh, have done well. Maybe O'Keefe. Uh, listen, I want to talk to you more, but we're out of time. Maybe we can get you back uh, between now and election day. But good luck to you, Pat O'Keefe, Republican. Nominee for the Michigan State University Board of Trustees on November 3rd. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate your support. We'll be back in a minute with another guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back. And we have another guest. She is Michelle Frederick, and she is one of two Republican nominees for the State Board of Education. She is a special education advocate uh, for the past 17 years. Michelle Frederick, welcome to the Political Insider. Thank you, Mr. Ballinger. Uh, I just want to ask you, um, you uh, have claimed that Michigan ranked worst out of all 50 states with a needs improvement rating by the federal government. Uh, That was three years ago. You say the state has improved its rating a little bit, but you don't believe it's quite time to celebrate. Uh, We should be first in the nation in the 90 percentile range, so there's still more work to do. Is that why you're running? That is one of the reasons why I'm running, yes, sir. Um. Currently, with the 2019 through 2020 academic year, the federal government on their annual performance rating gave us a 72.5%. So there has, obviously, there's been a a drastic improvement under IDEA Part B, which provides assistance for, provides assistance, the educational assistance for children with a disability. That's what IDEA Part B is. Yeah, well, you say that general education has a direct bearing on special education. Uh, You've said about 10 years ago you started advocating in the general education area, too. Uh, Yes. What what about special education uh, going forward? That was, I got involved when 
when the board adopted Common Core. And I knew it was bad. It was bad for general education, and it would be horrible for special education. And, um, and right now, I haven't verified these numbers, so I'm just going to throw out a few numbers. For children with IEPs in the 2018 through 2019 academic school year, on the NAEP, which is the nation's report card, eighth graders had a 21% proficiency in math and only a 25% proficiency in reading. And then if we look over at the annual performance rating by the federal government for part for IDEA Part B, and it, we're at 72.5% improvement, that just doesn't make sense. A lot of people so, don't understand uh, how important the State Board of Education should be, could be, Uh, It's buried down on the ballot. Um, A lot of people wonder why the state school superintendent isn't appointed directly by the governor. Uh, The state school superintendent, believe it or not, until 60 years ago, used to be elected statewide. Now it's appointed by the board. Uh, It's now a man named Michael Rice. Uh, How is the board conducting itself generally, uh, do you think, and how could it improve its relevance and its impact for the people of Michigan? By adopting proven educational standards, not continuing with Common Core. We went from approximately 75% reading proficiency, and we are currently at 44% reading proficiency. Our math is at 38% proficiency. We need to review those standards and get proven educational standards in. And I think that's where the board has failed the past 10 years. Well, let me ask you, how do you, uh, with only a month left before the November 3rd general election, get your message out? You've had a month already since you were nominated at the Republican State Convention at the end of August. Uh, but, you know, it's really tough for a candidate to raise money, spend money, make an impact, get her message out, uh, run a campaign in the short space of two months when she's never run statewide before. Uh, what have That's you been true. doing? Yeah, what, what's what's going on? Um, Facebook ads. We're looking at Facebook ads, billboards possibly, Um We've been, Tammy and I have been going all across the state of Michigan. <laughs> Any rally, we've been going to the Trump rallies. The um, Women for Trump been ha- has been having their wine and cheese Wednesdays, and, well, it, it's so popular that they put it to other days also, so we've been attending those. Um, oh, what else? Yeah, that's pretty much been it. <laughs> Have you had to be interviewed in any way, shape, or form by publications uh, so that perhaps you might get endorsements that might be used to your advantage between now and November 3rd? I was endorsed by Right to Life of Michigan PAC, and I was endorsed by Citizens for Traditional Values PAC. Um, I've done a, ooh, I can't remember if it was the Detroit News or the Detroit Free Press. Um, one of yeah, those, it was one or the other. One of those big city newspapers. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> well, let me ask you, what what is your overall, I mean, what do you think you're going to raise and spend between now and November 3rd? Total. Ooh. Now and November 3rd. Well, I'm hoping to get about $10,000 would be wonderful. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, they're talking about spending over $100 million for the U.S. Senate, uh, Gary Peters and John James, over $100 million, an all-time record. And here you are uh, running for a very important state education board, the most important state education board with overarching uh, hegemony over higher education and K-12 education, and you're running on a $10,000 budget. Uh, on a hopeful $10,000 budget. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I believe education is the most important. If we want to pass down freedom in our republic to our children and our grandchildren, they need to understand the foundation. And, I mean, Senate races and, and other legislative races, they're all fine and dandy to protect our nation now. But we need to look at what the future may bring. And that's where education, uh, in my opinion, is the most important office to hold. Well, right now. Other than the presidency. <laughs> yeah. Right now, what? There are two Republicans on the State Board of Education and six Democrats. So Democrats yeah. control the board. Is there a partisan difference on that board that you can detect? Oh, absolutely. Um, when they, I believe it was last year, there was a resolution that came up up before the board, and it was a resolution to approve driver's licenses for illegal for illegal residents, um, illegal aliens, and um, it two no votes. Well, one no vote, one abstain vote, and the rest were absolutely yes. So, oh yeah, it's definitely partisan politics. And you think uh, they shouldn't have even been mucking around with this issue? It's not really yeah. education or the things that they really should be concerned with? Exactly. That has absolutely no bearing in education. Well, you have made some very good points here in a very short period of time. I wish we could go on longer, but we run out of time. And I want to thank you very much, Michelle Frederick, one of two Republican nominees for the Michigan Board of Education in the general election on November 3rd. Don't forget to vote for that office, folks listening. This is important. Thank you, Michelle Frederick. Thank, thank you, Mr. Ballinger. We will be back in a minute with another guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and uh, we're going to talk county boards of commissioners. You know, they're also on the ballot November 3rd general election. I mean, Michigan has, as I said last week, more races around the state on the general election ballot than any other state in the country, over 11,000, most of them township offices. But we're talking county boards of commissioners, and there are over 600 county commissioners spread over 83 counties in Michigan, and we've got a candidate on the line, Jeremy Whittem of Eaton Rapids. Jeremy, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, thank you, Bill. 
long-time listener, first-time guest. Thanks for the invitation. Well, thank you very much for listening. Let me ask you, uh, what is the situation in Eaton County? Let's mention that I think you've got a 15-member board. And right now, as I understand it, there are nine Democrats, six Republicans. You are running uh, down in the Eaton Rapids area. Maybe you can tell our listeners exactly what your district consists of and what the circumstances of your race is. Well, Eaton County, as you just mentioned, has 15 commissioners. I am running for the 14th Commission District. The 14th Commission District is all of Brookfield Township, the west side of Hamlin Township, M50, M99 splits Hamlin in half, and roughly thirds of Eaton Rapids Township, where Canal and Petraville meet uh, the northwest corner of Eaton Rapids Township, beginning at that intersection. Now, this is in the southeast corner of Eaton County, which is southwest of Lansing for our listeners, because we got a lot of people listening who are way up north or they're over in Muskegon, Grand Rapids, Flint, and may not be familiar with that area. But, you know, you've got like a lot of farmland, probably, uh, you know, suburban Eaton Rapids, if there is such a thing. Uh, and it, right now you're running against an incumbent who was appointed, uh, uh, an incumbent Democrat who was appointed, and you're the Republican nominee. Is that correct? You are correct. Okay. And what happened that this uh, incumbent got appointed? Did somebody resign or pass away? Yes. Uh, a young lady, I served, I, I initially served on the County Board of Commissioners from 2010 through 2016. A young lady who lives around the corner from me uh, opted to run for the County Board of Commissioners. She's a, she's a very gracious, very nice lady. She was a very competent commissioner. And after six years, I figured it was time to revert back to private sector, which I did. Unfortunately, uh, Heather was not able to serve out her second term. She was valiant in her first term. She, uh, she resigned uh, in the beginning of her second term. So the County Board of Commissioners, which is Democrat-controlled, appointed the current incumbent Democrat. Okay, so uh, how does it look for you? You think you have a good chance to win, and how do you campaign? Are you going door-to-door? How do you raise money? Uh, how much money uh, does it take to win a seat like this? Well, this year I am not doing door-to-door. I do not wish to violate anybody's personal issues with the COVID that, that we are, our, country, our country is currently being inflicted with. And secondly... I am doing mailers. I have um, targeted people who vote in the primary in the fight in 14th. I sent a mailer for the primary. And in Eaton Rapids Township, I recently sent a mailer for Eaton Rapids Township voters. And that's what we're doing. Let me ask you, is there really a a partisan divide uh, on the Board of Commissioners, either in the past, now, or maybe going forward on various issues? I mean, you're the legislative body, the Board of Commissioners for Eaton County. Uh, Do you really have divisions of opinion on certain issues? Uh, What are they? Well, Eaton County, we have Delta Township, which is the 58th largest municipality in the state. Delta Township has seven commissioners that oversee Delta or a portion of Delta. With the growth of Delta Township in Eaton County, we will probably have eight commissioners that represent Delta Township or a portion of Delta Township after the 2020 election. We see, for my six years of experience, 
has led me to believe that we have uh, Delta, which is a wonderful township, and we have rural Eaton County. Prime example, Delta Township has more secondary roads, subdivision streets. Let's just say you live at Old River Trail. That's a subdivision street. But in practicality, it's a secondary county road. There are more secondary county roads in Delta Township than there are secondary roads in the three townships that I have been entrusted to represent in the past. That was one issue. The other is the board has become very partisan. And right now, the board is under Democrat control. So we do have the partisan bickering that is inflicted with our accounting as a current makeup. Does this involve things like collective bargaining for county employees, things like that? Not really. No, I served on Ways and Means for six years. We, we really didn't have any problems negotiating with the unions. The largest union we have are the unions associated with our Eaton County Sheriff's Department. What we saw, what I saw and experienced with partisan bickering has to do with land rights and land development. So, In what way? Well, I believe in if it's your house, you pay the taxes on it, I'm going to leave you alone. But we have people uh, that feel that we should have more restrictions on land use, that you shouldn't be able to develop your property or build as large a garage as what you feel you need to have or build as large a house as what you uh, feel you can afford. In other words, the Democrats are in the latter category, and the Republicans on the board tend to say, live and let live, uh, you know, let land be developed naturally and then leave people alone. Well, that's my philosophy. You know what's best. Bill, you know what's best for you and your family. We don't need a government bureaucrat in Lansing or Washington, D.C., dictating terms and conditions on how we live. But you see a real difference between Delta Township, which, by the way, I'll just mention, is right up next to the city of Lansing on the west city limits of Lansing. So you've got this huge spillover uh, in population with basically residential development. There's a lot of industry in Delta, too. But you, you've got really a divide between Delta Township and the commissioners that represent it and the entire rest of the county. I mean, 15 other townships spread, you know, through cities like Grand Ledge and Charlotte and Eaton Rapids, Bellevue, Olivet, Sunfield, Mullican, all the above, right? Correct. Delta Township, I, I'm friends with the members of the township board. Delta Township is a solid-run township. Delta Township is no longer a rural township. The three townships I have are general law townships, rural townships. Delta Township, it's, it's a great, great township. There's, there's, the parks are tremendous. The streets or the, the roads are fine, no problems, no complaints. But it's the difference of, a, of an urban, urban living or a rural living. I only, I only have an acre and a half of property, which is not a lot of property outside of, uh, in, in out county. But the average lot in Delta Township is uh, a small residential lot. So we have a difference in, in zoning aspects. We have a difference in, in, the, in the communities. Yeah, Eaton is really an evolving county in terms of its demography, its population. It used to be strongly Republican. Now I'd call it a purple county. I mean, it's a blend. You've got, you know, Roughly half of your countywide elected office is Democrat, roughly half Republican. Uh, the board is pretty closely divided. The Republicans had control of it just a few years ago. 
Uh, but the trend seems to be toward the Democrats because of the population inflow into Delta and, let's say, Windsor Township, Oneida Township, that area, right up in the northeast corner next to the city of Lansing. I, I was at a Christmas party this past Christmas, and a very wise man said to me, he said, it looks like Eaton County is the new Macomb, and I believe that he is right. When That's- we look at our executive board, our, I'm sorry, our executive positions, the sheriff, the current incumbent sheriff's a Democrat, the current in, the current incumbent treasurer is a Republican, the drain commissioner, I'm sorry, Bob Robinson is a Democrat. He's a Democrat. Yeah. Richard Wagner, the drain commissioner, he's Republican, and the clerk's Republican. So our executive branch of government is it's, divided 50 split. Yeah. Listen, I, I could go on talking about this. It's fascinating to me. A uh, very important county, Eaton County, and Jeremy Whittem running for county commissioner. Thank you, Jeremy Whittem, for being our guest. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for the invitation. We'll be back in a minute. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we haven't even mentioned the presidential debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and we haven't mentioned the positive test for coronavirus of the president and Melania Trump just announced at the end of the week. And guess what? I'm not going to talk about that because everybody else is talking about it. You don't need to hear from me. I want to mention that with respect to what we heard from our guest in the last segment, Jeremy Whittem of Eaton Rapids. Let me mention a few other things about county boards of commissioners that we didn't have time to go into in depth. First of all, there are 622 county commissioners statewide spread over 83 counties. Now that may seem like a lot, but it's actually a smaller number than the previous decade when a lot of counties reduce the size of their boards, usually in an effort to save money. Republicans hold an edge on 56 boards out of the 83. Republicans represent about 63% of all the county commissioners elected in Michigan around the state. Democrats control 25 boards out of the 83, and they represent some 30%. Six percent of all commissioners. A couple of boards are split in terms of control, or they have members with no party affiliation uh, holding the balance of power. The percentage of women, by the way, on the boards is only about 20 percent, and that hasn't varied much in the 21st century. To put things in a little historical perspective, the proportion of members for each party is only about 1% different than it was back in the year 2000. Keep in mind, too, that many of the Republican members that I just described, and they've got 63% of all county commissioners around the state, uh, are in the most sparsely populated counties, whereas Democrats hold the upper hand in the lion's share of the state's largest counties, like Wayne and Macomb and Oakland and Genesee, Saginaw, Ingham, Washtenaw, and Bay County. County boards are major staging grounds for future state lawmakers. And you can bet 
that at least half a dozen will be elected to the State House of Representatives next month. Now, in addition to that, let me just mention the news brought to us uh, by our three guests. And outside that, uh, first of all, Unlock Michigan filed their initiative petitions this week, half a million of them, to block Governor Whitmer's use of a 75-year-old law called the Executive Powers Act to justify her use of that statute to issue nearly 200 executive orders without any legislative input to put Michigan in lockdown for six months and have a deleterious effect on the state's economy. Meanwhile, the Detroit Free Press produced video of unlocked Michigan petition managers seemingly instructing circulators on how to break the law in gathering signatures without getting caught. And Attorney General Dana Nessel, who opposes the unlocked Michigan effort and is an ally of the governor, says she will investigate. Meanwhile, another Whitmer ally, Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, says it may take over 100 days at least to certify the signatures, assuming they have been legally collected. And if that is so, it would mean that she cannot certify them and get them to the legislature this calendar year. It would have to be next year. So the Republicans will have to hope they maintain control of the House of Representatives on November 3rd. If they do not, you can be sure that House Democrats, if they're in the majority, will have Whitmer's back and will not allow approval to come to a vote. In that event, the question will go on the November 2022 ballot, two years away. Obviously, there's going to be much more of this story as time goes on, and we'll see what happens. Secondly, Governor Whitmer signed into law this week almost all of what she and the legislature agreed to last week a fiscal year 2020-21 budget including k-12 public schools now that fiscal year just started on october 1st of this week an agreement on a budget between whitmer and the legislature is a big deal it happened without the cuts that seemed inevitable last spring so that federal anti-coronavirus stimulus money really helped Third, clerks all over the state began mailing out absentee ballots or mail-in ballots at the end of last week. One-third of all voters in the state, over 2 million, had requested them. More will be requested, you can be sure, and more ballots will be mailed out in coming weeks. Fourth, in that regard, a federal court judge has ruled that Michigan voters should be able to mail their ballots back to clerks as late as November 2nd and still have them be valid even if they are received as much as 14 days later. Since Michigan election law says ballots must be received no later than Election Day, November 3rd, that judge's ruling is being appealed both in federal court and in the Michigan Supreme Court, even if Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, a Democratic ally of Governor Gretchen Whitmer, does not want to appeal it. Fifth, there is a vacancy on the U.S. Supreme Court, in case you haven't heard. One of the names in the mix for appointment by President Trump was Michigan's Joan Larson, who is now a judge on the federal Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. She did not get the nod, but it was an honor for her to be near the top of the list that was under consideration. 
The confirmation process for nominee Amy Coney Barrett will be one of the most closely watched developments nationally in the next month. So if we look at everything on our plate, uh, we have probably never had a time in the last century with such extreme political volatility. Beginning in 2006, and I'm talking nationally here, but it applies to Michigan as well, there has been a change in party hegemony, that is control, dominance, in six out of the seven elections that have been held since that time. This has never happened in the past century. We have at least four big events going on simultaneously this year, which is very rare. We have a pandemic. We've had a recession from which hopefully we're recovering. We've had mass protests and we have a presidential election. And now we can call in the Supreme Court of the United States fight just beginning. Now, this has happened only three times before in the last 100 years. Only three presidents in the modern era of polling have had approval ratings under 40% going into a general election. They were Jimmy Carter back in 1980. They were George H.W. Bush in 1992, and they are now Donald Trump. Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee for president, wants the election to be a referendum on Trump. President Trump wants it to be a choice between himself and Joe Biden. Looking ahead to November 3rd, everybody wonders, how soon will we know the result of that election? I would say that if Joe Biden wins Florida, and that is known pretty quickly on election night, the election outcome should be decided at that point. But if Donald Trump wins Florida the overall outcome nationally may take weeks to determine, depending on how counting of mail-in ballots goes. Odds makers right now, and this is before the announcement that President Trump has been tested positive for the coronavirus, and it's before the debate this past Tuesday, they give Joe Biden about a 55% chance of winning Trump 45%, but that could change with a month to go. And by the way, back in 2016, polls were off only about 3% nationally when you get right down to it. The pollsters who have been ridiculed for most of the last four years actually were correct in terms of who won the popular vote nationally in 2016. They said, Hillary Clinton by about 3%. It was almost that within the margin of error. But those same pollsters were off by 5% in key swing states like Michigan. Now, Trump has a deficit in these swing states down to about 3% as of, let's say, a week ago. Key factor to look at between now and November 3rd. Is the Standard and Poor rating and the strength of the dollar? Is it going to be higher in those two categories, the ratings and the strength, on November 3rd than it was on August 3rd? So those are things to look at as we go forward to November 3rd. 
Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with still more. <laughs>